0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 18, Spockanalia 4, April 30th, 1969. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your
1: host... Dr. Trek, Larry Nemacek.
0: Hey, Star Trek fans, welcome back to the Trek Files. Yes, all you canonistas, all you trekophiles spelled with an F. If you were with us uh, last episode, you know that we had to create a part two here with our lovely guest, Jacqueline Lichtenberg. Listen, we're going to dive back into Roots Star Trek that totally shines the light on what we're all living in fandom and what we're watching come to our screens as new Star Trek right now. So listen, as always, take a look at our Facebook page. That's where you'll find our documents of the week, right there, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Read this week's document, which is a three-page article by Jacqueline, her first. (laughs) Here's a sample from that, as always, and hurry right back and join the conversation with us. Vulcans are often thought of throughout the Federation as lacking an aesthetic sense. However, might I point out that while understanding logic is a stimulating exercise and pure reason, applying is an art requiring keen imagination and an extremely well-developed aesthetic sense. All right. It's Hey, listen, guys and gals, it's a great pleasure to extend our conversation about all things Vulcans and early Star Trek and the roots of what we have with us today, very much so, thanks to Discovery and Star Trek Picard and what's coming down the pike, no pun intended. Jacqueline Lichtenberg, thank you so much for hanging around and coming back for more of this conversation because this early day perspective, things, even those who know our Star Trek background, things get, you know, blurred and kind of tamped down and you're giving us so many great vivid details here of what was sparking. You know, without without all this, we wouldn't have Star Trek today. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. So, thanks for coming back. And uh, and we were talking about zines and the culture and what birthed, what gave rise to this first article you wrote that we're spotlighting here.
1: Uh, poverty.
0: <laughs> Specifically, poverty. Well,
1: yeah. No, really. This is this is this is science fiction fandom. Remember, I'm a science fiction fan from seventh grade. The protocol in science fiction fandom, Mm -hmm. it's called fandom, okay? That is a coined word putting two words together, fanatic Mm -hmm. and kingdom, kingdom. (laughs) And you put the two together, you have fandom, which was the first virtual world humans lived in. Before there was the internet, Fandom existed without any physical location, without any actual structure of officers and kings and aristocrats and bosses and anything else. Yep. Everybody, it was a total anarchy that worked. <laughs> okay? Right. But it was a kingdom. It was a dome. Dom. You, you still had some, you
0: still had, here, I'm going to throw this out. You still had some BNFs, though.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> but they come and they go big I mean, name they're fans, gone, they're gone, right? You know, I mean, they're it. Right. They you know, it yep. just, everybody makes their contribution and then steps back. This yep. is, it, you know, it's it pretty much how world cons are run today. The committee crashes and burns right in the middle of the world con and everybody mm. else steps up and does the jobs they all know how to do anyway. It's not, this is yep. how we work. Okay. Uh, we, we are fans of science fiction. So we were in fandom, and we published fanzines, magazines by and for fans, by definition. Actually, there is an encyclopedia published by Dick Eney of fanspeak, Mm -hmm. which is a language of its own. Fandom and fanzines are two words that belong to this lexicon. Mm -hmm. Now the fanzine is by and for fans. It isn't it's been dubbed by the general press an amateur magazine. But there may be amateurs in Mundania but they're not <laughs> amateurs in fandom.
0: And I will just say that the coming of computer and digital printing, and, and the e, as with everything, the coming of you know fan films and podcasting has brought technology and different kinds of publishing, even more so. May, and I know. May, you know
1: I, may I just note that yeah. these instrumentalities that you have named did not just come; they grew out mm-hmm. of Star Trek.
0: Well, that's true. Star Trek
1: true. is the origin.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So okay. I want to. I just want to dial us back to the fact that zines had been around, for fandom and everything we're talking about here, at least from the 30s and first fandom and the first world cons and interrupted by World War II and then accelerated to the 50s and 60s and then lit-based and then occasionally a movie, media not taken for granted. Twilight Zone is nice, but it's an anthology we have the baby shows of the fifties and the glossy baby show, I mean, and then bang, Star Trek is the revolution that's the as you said once it was the spark in the dry tender. What we're looking at this week is Spockanalia. This is issue number four that your piece is in, but spochanalialia, the first Star Trek zine we're kind of documented on, so tell me about Deborah Langsom. and we were talking off the other side of the room here about. What led to this piece? Because this was your first piece, right? Your first piece of writing.
1: Well, in Star I'm Trek, saying this, this, this they all they all sort of had their origins simultaneously, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, I can't remember which one I wrote first. I, I, somebody can look up what the dates of publication are, but that doesn't mean. Oh, it. okay. The Mr. Spock on logic was a contribution I made to Spockanalia because it had gotten to be a very thick fanzine and was very expensive and I didn't have the money so I made a contribution and by fan custom got a free copy That's why people made contributions to fanzines, not because they wanted to read their own stuff in print, because they wanted to read everybody else's.
0: And get a free contributor copy, right. Exactly.
1: That's still a practice
0: in professional writing, too. You know, I'll review your book if I can have a free, you know, copy or whatever. But, and again, we're talking about the circles at the time were small, just in the dozens, maybe the hundreds. Let me
1: continue to give you some more figures. Yeah. Um. Spock, and, uh, Spock and had basically had to go to an electric Gestetner because they needed, uh, I think they were up to 700 or 1,000 copies.
0: Brand name of um, a mimeograph that gave you, right. yes. yeah.
1: T-negative was one of the first to go offset. Mm-hmm. In when printing. they topped 1,000 uh-huh. copies. Craith um, had to go offset. Because it got so, crates collected got so long that we had, in order to afford the ever-increasing postage rates, the print size had to be reduced. you can't do that on a gestetner, a mimeograph. Uh, So we had to go to offset printing, but we were printing way over 1,500 copies. And with people, uh, the Devra and the crowd, right, the, all these people would bring boxes and boxes, a whole carload of boxes to a convention. And the line at the craze table would be out the door and we would be out, no matter how many we could carry, we'd be out of them before the first day was over for a couple of hours. And it became popular by word of mouth because there was a mouth to have a word. People were connected. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And people wrote, people wrote about one fanzine in the letter column of another fanzine, along with names and addresses, which you can't do today because the world has turned so, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So what, what we did was basically we wrote to each other. And we knew the people we were writing for. We knew the audience. One of the things you and, need and to the learn... way
0: here, we're talking about our original fan, Star Trek fan fiction writers writing their fanfic and occasional essays and occasional nonfiction. But mainly, we're talking about the fan fiction, right? Oh,
1: you wanted to talk about Spockania and why I wrote the article the way I did. Mm-hmm. They they had an editorial policy. See, Ruth Berman was doing alternate universes in T negative hmm. So, you could challenge and alter canon. Deborah Langsom and all the people that she worked with, it was a huge crowd in New York. Ruth Berman was in Minneapolis, and uh, Deborah and company were part of the Lunarians. Have we mentioned them?
0: That's the New York One, uh, group. Science Lunarians, fiction. Yes. The
1: science fiction, they hold Lunacon. Yes. Which was one of the first conventions ever. Right? Mm-hmm. So they are part of a different group of people. And they have had an attitude towards Star Trek that what was on TV was canon and you can't touch it. You can't, you could maybe add a little bit, but then they cut, cut, cut your little wordies.
0: Out. <laughs> now are you and, talking about they they knew that alternate universe like the mirror universe is an alternate universe did they did they acknowledge that you can write an alternate universe they just didn't prefer to or no 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 no, they just they, thought stop they, they, wasting your time if you're a Star Trek fan in writing alternate universe
1: no they they the idea was that if you write about Star Trek, even if you do an alternate universe it has to include everything that is established by canon. Okay? Okay. And that that's still an argument today. It's still a mm-hmm. big division in <laughs> in fandom, whether you have to adhere or whether you can embroider on your own. Uh, I, I, now I want to talk about the example that's most familiar to me is my sign gem series, but we're not doing that today. So what we did with... um. With Star Trek Lives,
0: your we, book you wrote with Sandra uh, one, yeah we, we we used that analyzed one of, fandoms, why, where it came from, right? Why it exploded?
1: We used one of the stories from Spacanelli. I think that was one. That was the one Jean Laura co-edited. Well, co-wrote, um, and we used some from uh, T Negative and from some of the other fanzines little short stories. We collected them all individually chosen as examples of adhere to canon, embroider freehand, do a little of each, a takeoff. And one of the biggest themes you'll find running through all the early Star Trek fan fiction is I see this error on screen. This is a mistake. This can't be true. What's really happened here? And one of the things is like for one of the big examples is the little statue that you see in Kirk's quarters over his bed on the, on the mm-hmm. headboard over his bed, right. it's a little statue. Right. And then the next episode, it's not there, but then it turns up later on in Spock's quarters.
0: What right. happened? Explain that kind of that. warrior with the hell. It's like an open form sculpture bust head. Yeah, yes. That little, yes. Yeah,
1: It's And, and it's, it's a tiny on a black and white TV screen monitor. It's a tiny little tick; you can't even see it. And there are there are a whole series of stories about how it goes from one place to the other.
0: <laughs> Why is it in Kirk's cabin? Why is it in Spock's quarters? And yes. yeah, and who,
1: Explain yeah. it now. This is this is the, the attitude that you take, where you uh, take the the Star Trek universe as real. So it has to behave like the real world. There have to be Mm -hmm. reasons for everything. Right. Even if you don't know them, okay? Now, find those reasons. Explain it.
0: (laughs) Gosh, Jacqueline, I have no idea at all what you're talking about here. And certainly on the nonfiction side of things, we have no... No, yes. Whether you explain it via narrative prose or whatever. Uh, Yes.
1: So the Mr. Spock on Logic was written from mr spock's point of view mm-hmm. okay and he's telling the story of how he learned about logic and emotion and ha- what he concludes about it um i haven't i did another article i don't know i don't really remember where it appeared at this point uh, probably in several places um on the Idic. mm-hmm which is touched on by that other document you sent me, and the entire philosophy of GNOME, NOME, N O M E, that is it pretty much, you know, was established. And um, it's just imagining from our real world something that could function in this fantasy world as a real thing. You know, what are these mm-hmm. aliens? And that is really why I wrote Kraith, because I wanted to write about Vulcans. And a lot of people say that the hero of Kraith is neither Kirk nor Spock, it's Vulcan culture. And in in many ways, that's that's true. What people were writing about in Star Trek fan fiction were the things that most touched their hearts, What may really it's you're very inarticulate when you try to make nonfiction words that explain how you feel and why you feel that way. But many people have a talent for writing, for telling stories, and they will be able to express why they love Mm -hmm. Star Trek in a story in a way that they could never answer my questionnaire.
0: Right. Which I sent
1: that. around to hundreds and hundreds of people. I've since lost the questionnaires that were sent back to me. They were stored in a garage in a plastic container and the container broke and it got wet and I had right. to throw it all up. Right. But I did circulate and read all of these questionnaires about and one of the questions was what is it about Star Trek that that makes you create? what is it that hits the creative nerve and makes all of this pour out and people the the conventions had a dealers room filled with people who made things macrame um, drawings mm-hmm. jewelry you name it any art form you can possibly think of was represented it's basically everyone
0: react well, it's everyone reacting to star trek in their own way across the board. We talk about fanzines and the fan fiction, but people have, you know, now we have cosplay. We have the CGI guys and gals doing CGI models. We've got the real-world people building models. We've got the prop builders. We've got people that want to, you know, the back, we were laughing about it, but I've done that, you know, the backgrounding, um, the star charts and all that. People all reacted to it. But the other thing was, it was in a vacuum. It was against a background of there being no... Everybody wanted Star Trek back and basically, this was their this was their therapy for their not yeah. being new Star Trek. So I'll make my own. Damn it! If you won't give it to me,
1: can, because, can because I, I now to... get to one of the other points that I sure. see today in retrospect? Oh please, emerges as obvious to me, which at the time was not obvious, and that is how Star Trek's popularity and the particular reason why it struck that note of popularity. How that has actually altered our real world fiction delivery system. I call it a fiction delivery system parallel to what we, what we call the healthcare delivery system. It is, it is a gigantic mechanism that brings down to one person whatever it is that person is calling for one of the things that star trek did was to energize the creativity of people who went out went through college they went out in, in the real world got real world jobs in science in in entrepreneurship in, in in new companies in founding new industries and in having the guts to try something they didn't know would ever make a buck And so we had in the origin of the Internet is in the Mm -hmm. universities connecting computers to play games. (laughs) And the Web was invented in Europe because this was this this connectivity was available. But how are you going to use it? Mm -hmm. The concept of the browser, bingo, and look what we use it for today. This has impacted the way one individual person can communicate with another individual person. And the one-on-one communication, it's why we have, it's why the the demonstrations that are going on in various places in the world today actually can happen Mm -hmm. because they can call a flash mob. You can communicate by all these various platforms and you can have your own secret little corner of the internet where you all coordinate and yep. you can be a mass voice for something. You couldn't do that. Man. This is what Roddenberry did that he didn't know he was doing. He gave us that, that letter that we had, I think, in the previous se- segment, um, the form response to fan letters was actually the first sign that Hollywood was responding to fans the the word fan is short for fanatic right and is therefore conflated with a person to be despised not listened to right. can't possibly have anything interesting to at say at best
0: a crazy person
1: is a crazy person yeah, yeah. and you can discount them well they tried discounting star trek fans and look what happened to the world
0: <laughs> on many many levels on many many levels J- Jacqueline listen we're gonna have to close it there but i am we did we did get that point in which is true there are so many threads so many threads in this tapestry um i don't know uh, uh, somewhere down the line i want to have you come back i just wanted to touch on making the fanzine world and that history alive for us and i th- Thank you for doing that. I think it's it's very much. It strikes me. I've said this in the past. The world of fanzines and that explosion is what we saw with fan films and the aughts. We're seeing it with podcasting now. You know, people doing what they take their take and they run with it. It's whatever the technology, the platform is. The time people are, the are expressing. The
1: important point that I wanted to make is that the fiction purveyors, Hollywood, mm-hmm. the people who make very expensive movies and TV shows that have to have a large audience in order to get, in order to make their money. Those people never before in history ever listened to the people they sold it to. And there's a reason for that. You, the TV viewer, are not the customer of Hollywood. You are the product. And that business model is being reprised very successfully by Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. We, the audience, are the product. They don't give us something that we like because we like it. They don't care why we like it. They wouldn't listen to anybody who watched Star Trek. And then we spoke with one voice. (laughs) <laughs> and that changed everything
0: mm-hmm.
1: And the reason when when we got we got them doing what we want to see now now it's I call it a feedback loop. It's something that never existed before between the writer, the imaginer of a piece of fiction and the audience, the person who receives the piece of fiction. we book writers never had that kind of feedback before now, They listen and they respond. And they have people chortle over it a lot when they go to a Star Trek movie and they come away seeing something that they saw in a fanzine a couple of years ago. They are incorporating these bits Mm -hmm. and pieces. Some fan writers object to that. They think, oh, they stole my thing. They didn't. They thought of it too. They thought of it too because they're on the same wavelength.
0: It is, it is. It's another layer in how Star Trek is has secretly revolutionized the world and that's not hyperbole. Jacqueline thank you so much for for sharing that and um, thank you
1: for saying it's not hyperbole that's what I've always been accused of.
0: Oh no 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 I think that's dawning on more and more people but we're still living we're still living this revolution and um and as uh, as a famous Star Trek captain once said the sky's the limit so but thank you for coming on and sharing with us.
1: Thank you very much for
0: having me. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment, please do, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Yes, that's me, at LarryNemichek.com. Truck well, everybody.
1: Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.